For decades, America has struggled to combat the harms of drug use, but the harms have increased and the fight is endless because we've been wrong. What if we changed our drug policies to actually decrease the harms of drug use and increase thriving for all of us? Our criminal approach to drugs had a beginning and it will have an end. Join us on the journey to end it for good. Welcome back to the End It For Good podcast, where we want to invite you to consider ending our criminal approach to drugs for good as the best option we have to reduce harm to people and allow more people to thrive. It's not a perfect option, but we believe it's the best option out there. I'm Christina Dent, your host, along with my co-host, Mike Madison. Today, we're going to answer some of the most common objections that we have heard to these ideas of a regulated, decriminalized approach to drugs. There are seven objections that I regularly hear. Today, we're going to answer four of them, and we'll answer the last three next time. So I'm politically conservative, and a lot of the people that I talk to about this here in Mississippi are as well. And these are common objections that I had um, myself as I was beginning to learn about this issue a few years ago after spending um, most of my life, well into my adult life, supporting a criminal approach to drugs. And as I began to feel that foundation cracking a little bit, I had all of these questions and kind of went on this search to answer all these of my own objections. Um, And in talking to more people about it, I have realized um, I'm not alone in those concerns. And so we want to answer some of those today. So part of what we want to do on the show is to give people an opportunity to ask their questions and to share their own stories of how um, either a criminal approach to drugs has affected them or um, their story of uh, redemption. And if you want to submit those stories or questions, you can email them to podcast at enditforgood.com. And we would love to hear from you. All right, Mike. So today we're talking about common objections to reform. I know you've heard a lot of these, um, and I have as well. Mike, take us away. Yeah, you're you're right. I was looking at these myself before we started doing this. These are the exact questions that are you know that everybody has. They're very very natural, and uh, you know, mm-hmm. so it is interesting. All right, so let's just go ahead and get started on the list here. Uh, n- number one, uh, anybody who is caught doing drugs, incarcerated for it, they broke the law. And if they don't want to do the time, they shouldn't do the crime in the first place. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, I think, really get stuck on this. They they don't look past if it's a law and they broke it, then I can throw up my hands and say whatever happens is their fault. Right. Uh, we're talking about changing the law. And any brief survey of human history, including American history, will show us that we have had bad laws. Before. Right. And if you're that, conservative, go ahead. Yeah, though that always assumes that every law is a good law. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, to say that because, you know, I know a lot of people have home poker games, but they're not turning themselves in for what is it's essentially illegal gambling. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So uh, just assuming every law is just, just because a politician has promised it or a bureaucrat has implemented it is not, you know, it's not accurate. Mm-hmm. And I think for uh, conservative pro life people like myself, we would say we already agree that there is. A law on the books in America currently that's harmful. We would say that uh, legalized abortion is harmful. Right. So we have a category for that in our minds of that there can be laws that are harmful. Uh, but our cultural narrative about drugs is so deeply ingrained that criminality is the way to handle this uh, that it's really hard for us to to look at that law and say, could this be something we've been wrong about too? Every generation has had blind spots, and it's generally only when you look in the past that it's easy to see those blind spots. But for the people who are living at that moment in time, it's not easy to see your own blind spots. It's the it's the air we breathe. It's the culture that we live in. And I think this is one of those huge blind spots that we have, and we need to step forward 
far enough past that initial emotional reaction to it to say, okay, but should we change the law? We're not talking about just letting people go do whatever they want to just, you know, it's illegal, but just go do it. We're saying, no, I think the actual law that's making it illegal is harmful. And we need to look at changing the law, not just giving everybody free reign to go do whatever they want to in the world and break laws, but looking at the laws themselves and changing those. Right. And I mean, the in the drug war, how old are these laws? I mean, they, they haven't been around for forever. I mean, no. uh, cocaine was a pretty uh, ubiquitous substance that was sold in different products in the early including 1900s. Coca-Cola. In co- mm-hmm. Yeah, including Coca-Cola. So the, the drug war laws, uh, that's the thing is that people don't realize there was a time before the drug mm-hmm. war. And, and addiction rates are higher now, aren't they? Yes, yes, yeah. and, far higher. They right. used to, back when, you know, there was... It was in Coca-Cola. Heroin was in over-the-counter cough syrups right. and things like that. Most people didn't have a problem with those things. A few people did, and they were treated medically. They were treated by doctors. Uh, the vast majority of them were middle-class people. Only a very small proportion of them historically were uh, poor, and about a fifth of them were actually wealthy. Right. So it, it it cut across all demographics, but it, it was not treated as a criminal issue it was treated as a health issue um and so yeah it it is a time that none of us who are alive today remember because it's been 100 years since we criminalized um some of those substances like cocaine and heroin back i think in 1914 it was that that law was passed and then in the 70s when marijuana was prohibited um it just escalated that drug war so most of us who can remember any time i'm 35 so i am marijuana has been criminalized my whole life um that time is not part of my knowledge at all of when we handled these substances in a different way. But we did, and we did it with far less harm. Right. And people would look at uh, alcohol prohibition and say, well, at one time that legislators and judges and everybody viewed alcohol ingestion as an illegal thing, but not many people would want to go back to that. Think right. That, that was, that's something to do. But, you know, it was a law. Those people were breaking the law, but most people now would say, well, that wasn't a good law. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We got number two on here. Uh we're giving up on the rule of law. Won't there just be chaos in the streets? It's just, uh, you know, there's an idea of reefer madness or, you know, that kind of thing that just all hell will break loose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, even in my own mind, when I started thinking about, wait, could we really go to a regulated drug market? The immediate thought that came to my mind, and I think probably comes to a lot of people's minds, is like, oh, so wait, if people use drugs, we just let them do whatever they want to do. We're not going to prosecute them anymore if they go out and steal from somebody or hurt somebody. No, nobody is advocating for allowing people to harm other people without prosecution. Right. If you today go and steal something from somebody's house, we don't care whether you are high, drunk, or sober. You will be arrested for theft. Not for theft while high or theft while sober. It's just for theft. Those laws are not part of what we're talking about. We're not talking about uh, legalizing theft. We're talking about just that the use of drugs and the drug market should be regulated, should not be treated as a criminal offense. But everything else that you do that harms other people, we're not talking about changing those laws or decriminalizing those actions. We're not talking about letting people who are struggling with addiction hurt other people without just like consequence. Alcohol. Just like alcohol. It, absolutely. If you're yeah. drunk and you get into a fight and you hurt somebody, you're in trouble for the fight. If you're drunk and you drive and mm-hmm. you injure somebody in a car accident, you're in trouble. Yeah. Right. So it's exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
uh, people will say that this is anti-law enforcement. This is, a, a, you know, that we are disregarding the police. The police, you know, are heavily involved in the drug war right now, obviously, but that this is some kind of a way of disregarding what they're you know, their role in this. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think especially for um, conservative people like me who grew up with a high view and still have a high view of law enforcement. Um, I remember as a little girl, I was standing outside of my house. We lived next to a busy street in Jackson and a funeral procession for a law enforcement officer came by on our street. And I remember standing by um, out in my yard and watching that happen and just having this such a deep sense of wow, this person has sacrificed for our community. Um, This is not anti-law enforcement. There is a difference between being against law enforcement personnel and being against laws that are harmful. Now, law enforcement are the ones who are enforcing the laws of drug prohibition, but I'm not against law enforcement. I'm against the laws that we have given them to enforce, I think, are really harming people and harming our families and harming communities. And I think there is a real uh, weight to that of what we're asking them to do. I think research shows that these laws are harmful. So asking our officers who are um, committing their lives and in some cases laying down their lives to enforce the laws we give them, we need to be asking them to enforce laws that are really helping communities. Um, And I don't think any research shows that that's what's happening here. Um, so I think there there is a, a weight to us of what we ask our enforcement officers to enforce. And I think it is uh, better to have them enforcing laws that really are promoting community health and safety, like a regulated drug market, I think, would. Um, so I think it actually promotes health and safety for our officers, because right now we are losing officers who are fighting the war on drugs. Um, either they're doing, you know, undercover work or maybe they're doing, um, you know, going to get drug dealers or whatever. Um, and there's a great deal of increase in crime because of the black market. And we're sending officers into um, a world that has a far greater incidence of violence and crime because of a prohibitive black market gang and cartel-led right. environment. Uh, that's not safe for our officers, but um, that's an important point to make because when I first started talking about this about a year and a half ago, um, posting on Facebook about wanting to support reform and a legalized market, um, one of my Facebook friends whose uh, husband is a deputy in our local um, police department messaged me and said, are you anti-law enforcement? And I said, no, I'm not. I'm, I think there's a big difference between um, being against your husband and being against the laws that we have given him and officers like him to enforce. I think that's an important distinction to make, that this is not anti-law enforcement. This is anti-bad laws. Right. And, you know, I mean, I, it's impossible for me when I think about this topic to not continue to go back to prohibition again. But, you know, you see you talk about Chicago and the gangland violence. I mean, Chicago became a very dangerous place during alcohol prohibition. That's certainly not good for the police. Mm. I, I know police officers who have to go deal in these gang-ridden neighborhoods. And to imagine a world where at least the gangs are gone is is a net positive to the police. I also am always aware of the what's got to be incredible frustration of the police. They can do 
long undercover investigations. They can hit the streets every night to take off drug, you know, drugs out of the streets or bust a dealer here or bust a dealer there, and it doesn't put a dent in the overall supply. They have seen the supply over decades just continue to balloon. You know, I mean, so it, the, the frustration mm-hmm. of just continuing to do that time and time again and not seeing the net result of it because black markets just fill that, you know, they mm-hmm. just continue to fill that market. Yeah, they do. And if you when you have a huge pile of money like the drug market is and you take one dealer off the street there's a hundred more behind him who are ready to fill that position and actually when you get higher up um we've seen this in uh central south america so when we arrested el chapo took him off the street the thought i think for many american people is great we have one of the main drug dealers off the street um, but what happens is that it creates a power vacuum, and now there's escalated violence right. as all of these people are fighting to to get the turf that's now been destabilized um, by taking out the power structure that was there already. So that's another piece of it that, in some cases, enforcement and taking people off the street creates more of a power vacuum, which can escalate violence instead of decreasing it. Right. And you don't see this with legitimate businesses, even mm-hmm. if they might be uh, vice things, alcohol or anything else. When the when the CEO of a company that produces alcohol or anything like that steps down and somebody just takes their place and the business mm-hmm. just continues to go, you know, so. Yeah, I, I love the um, number of authors have used this example of you just don't see the head of Heineken you know, toting a gun down and killing the head of Budweiser. Right. It just in a regulated market, there are courts where you settle your disputes. It is it is not a place where violence is a piece of how you handle your market. Right. Exactly. All right. Um, another question that a lot of people have: If it's legal, it will be used. It'll get into the children. You know, the children will start using it excessively. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's important to think of how. Uh, youth are able to access substances. So currently in Mississippi, marijuana is completely prohibited. We don't have uh, any kind of medical marijuana or anything here, um, although there are uh, an initiative underway to um, to legalize medical marijuana here, but that hasn't happened yet. So currently, youth can buy marijuana. If you're 14, you can buy marijuana on the street corner, just like a 34-year-old or a 54-year-old. Nobody's checking ID. Nobody right. cares how old you are. You can buy it. In a legal market, where it's now behind a counter, you need an ID to access that. Now, are there some, do youth now still find ways to access alcohol? Yeah, they do. But it's harder because you have to find somebody who's over 21 to buy it. They're, people aren't selling alcohol in the street corners like they're selling marijuana and other drugs. Right. Because the the regulated market for it is big enough now that it has taken out most of the black market in states that have legalized marijuana, and certainly for alcohol, you would see that here. You just aren't going to buy a, a fifth on the corner from somebody. That There's not enough market there for anybody to make a business out of it, and so it just isn't there. So youth, if you look in Colorado, their youth use has decreased since they legalized marijuana. That makes sense why that would be. Now it is harder. There's a very small black market there. And so it's harder for youth to access it because now they need to find somebody that has an ID that will go buy it for them instead of it's everywhere on the street corner and nobody cares how old you are. Right. And and the, the reality of these all of these situations are whether it's 
whether it is drugs or alcohol, teenagers get into stuff they shouldn't get mm-hmm. into. You know, they yeah. and I'm big advocate for you know becoming an age of majority because your brain's still developing. You don't want these substances right. in you, but teenagers are teenagers, so there is no perfect system for any of this. Right. We just know the one that we have right now doesn't work. Right. And right now, for teenagers who do get into that, the response that they can be met with is incarceration. Is that helping them right. to achieve a productive life? No. Now they're going to come out with a criminal record and now potentially for the rest of their lives they're going to have their economic opportunity crippled by something dumb they did when they were a teenager um, that could be very harmful to their health but we have to again go back to is our response then helping or harming that situation we're not dealing with what would a perfect world be we need to be dealing with how can we handle whatever happens in ways that actually get us up from where we are so if if an 18-year-old or a 16-year-old chooses to smoke marijuana, what's the best thing then that could happen to them? Is it to cripple them with a criminal record and to expose them to the trauma of jail? Or is it to meet them with a health response and, and try to educate them and get them to stop so that their life isn't destroyed? And that's what most parents would want for their own children. Exactly. Yet we watch society, the kids that we don't know, we don't seem to really have any empathy for them or really mm-hmm. care that they're in a, in a cage. And those are the people we say, well, it was against the law. If you can't do the, you know, mm-hmm. can't do the time, don't do the crime. But if it was our child, we want every bit of things to get their lives back on track with the least amount of harm and baggage to get right. with them. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I think, I think as people are able to, to think about what would you want for yourself, it makes sense. You you realize for yourself and your own children what they need. You right. realize. I don't want them doing this, but good night. Sending them to jail and a criminal record, that's just going to expound the harms. That's exactly what it does. It does that for every person that that happens to. Right. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Today we've tackled four of the most common objections to a regulated market. Next time we're going to look at the remaining three. You can submit your own questions, objections, comments, or stories to the show by emailing us at podcast at enditforgood.com. I'm Christina Dent, your host, along with my co-host, Mike Madison. Thank you for joining us today on the End It For Good podcast. So how do we end our criminal approach to drugs? By changing one mind at a time. Many people are only willing to have this conversation when they are invited to by someone they trust. That's you. Invite your friends, family, and people in your circle of influence to consider a better way. At End It For Good, our hope is that people who hear will become people who tell. Join the movement to end it for good.